welcome to IOM3 Investigates, the podcast series of the Institute of Materials, Minerals and Mining. We are one of the UK's major science and engineering institutions and our activities are focused on the promotion and development of all aspects of the materials cycle. These include the science, design, engineering and technology of materials, minerals and mining and their practical applications. We facilitate qualifications, professional recognition and development, share knowledge and provide networking services to a global membership and wider community. We hope you enjoy our podcast series. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of IOM3 Investigates as we present the first Women in Materials, Minerals and Mining series. I'm Fiona Robinson, currently Faculty Support Manager for Computing, Engineering and Science at the University of South Wales and Vice Chair of the IOM3 Women in Materials, Minerals and Mining, also known as WIM3 Committee. I'm delighted to present this IOM3 WIM3 podcast series focused on speaking with women in various backgrounds and industries, from engineering and materials to minerals and mining, to chat a bit about their careers and how they got to where they are now, be it by education, industry or other routes. In this podcast, I am joined by Elsa Elliman, a fourth year PhD student at the University of Cambridge. She is part of the Cambridge Centre for Medical Materials, where she works on the optimization of bioceramics for bone tissue engineering. Before her PhD, Elsa studied biomedical engineering at the University of Groningen in the Netherlands. Alongside her studies, Elsa actively participated in extracurricular events, mainly related to sustainability and aiding skills development. Elsa is currently part of the Global Shapers Cambridge Hub, where she leads a project in collaboration with the Salvation Army, aiming to reduce waste in Cambridge. The hub has focused particularly on bicycles by encouraging departing students to donate their old bikes to the Salvation Army by organising pop-up donation stations in colleges. The bicycles are repaired by the Salvation Army in their recently opened bike repair shops. This centre helps people with work skills to assist them back to long-term employment. A first trial at Wolfson College in the University of Cambridge resulted in over 40 bikes being donated and is continuing. Elsa, thank you very much for agreeing to uh, join me for this uh, Women in Materials, Minerals and Mining podcast. If we could start with you telling me a bit about your educational background and how you were first introduced to the possibility of studying materials or a related subject. Yes, um, so basically all the way back to high school. And this is when I wanted to uh, look for something that combined uh, mathematics and biology. So this is how I found the Bachelor of Life Science and Technology at the University of um, Groningen. And um, so I got into that. And then within that, there was this track biomedical engineering. And this was the perfect combination. It's basically the the, um, technology behind uh, medicine. So 
Specifically in this track, they focused on implants, designing implants and assessing how forces work on these implants. So this was uh, very um, interesting to me. And then, uh, so I decided to also continue my master's and there I could um, specialize a bit more. And then I decided to actually move a bit more towards biology. So I went to the implanted interface and technology track. They basically, what they do is once you have a material, it's already designed an implant, um, they basically answer the question, what happens once you put it inside the body? How do they accept it? Um, do they reject it? Um, and how do cells react to it and the body in general? So this is also when I learned more about tissue engineering, which is uh, a very interesting uh, technique and alternative to uh, implants because it um, basically tries to promote the body to regenerate its own tissue, and then you uh, overcome the problems of uh, rejection. So this is uh, how I actually started looking into uh, a master's project in that area, so medical materials rather than uh, other materials. And this is how I found the group, um, the Cambridge Centre for Medical Materials at the University of uh, Cambridge. And this is when I um, started my six months uh, ma master project in that group, yeah. basically on tissue engineering. And I'm working, I was working on collagen at that time. And I really, really enjoyed it. I loved the group and it was super interesting. So this is how I decided to um, also apply in this area um, for a PhD. So this is basically the track that led me to, to medical materials. Um, yeah. yeah. Uh, so can you tell me a little bit about your current PhD project, the, the topic of that? Yeah, so um, I, it was a bit different. My PhD project was a bit different than uh, the project I did in my uh, master's, but it was the same uh, tissue engineering. So uh, with that project, I found, I found funding. And so I was able to start. Um, I was specifically working, I'm specifically working on uh, bone tissue regeneration. Um, so I'm basically working on a material that is a body's own material. It's called hydroxyapatite. It's very similar to the mineral component of bone. And um, I am basically assessing how can we improve the cell attachment and protein attachment to this material. So basically a bit of background with tissue engineering, you have a construct, which is called a scaffold, um, which is in my case made from hydroxyapatite. And you put this into the body and then you allow the body to attach cells to it, proteins to it, and then regenerate its own tissue. And because it's in the body's own material, it will also degrade over time and then the body can replace it with its own tissue. So I am basically, what I am looking into is how can we improve this cell attachment and which particular biomaterial properties are influencing that cell attachment and protein attachment. And uh, basically my research is a lot about fundamental knowledge, trying to improve this um, and which will help future studies, hopefully to, um, to, for optimization of the biomaterials. And how has COVID-19 affected your PhD project and your approach to your research work? Yeah, so that definitely uh, affected it. Um, yeah. For me, this happened in my second year. Um, this is a very crucial moment in my PhD. My first year was a lot evolved uh, around um, setting up a methodology, optimizing it, validating it. And then my second year was going to be about implementing it and finding answers. 
So I did a bit of it in the first half, but then when I was about to start my big cell experiments, this is when lockdown happened. So I was thinking, what do I do now? And at that time, we also didn't know how long the lockdown was going to last. So I had to completely change my course of direction. So I was thinking, okay, how can I do these experiments maybe from a distance? Um, so I started looking into computational analysis. Um, so I had to basically start looking into software that I haven't worked with before. So that was uh, very complicated. So that definitely affected it. And But luckily, I think around September, we were able to go back into the lab. So which is also when I decided to still do my uh, in vitro um, assessments as well. But this was still at a reduced um, a lab access. So that was also complicated. So has the time scale of your PhD been extended because of this disruption? Um, yeah, it, it could, could have been... So I had funding for uh, three and a half years. So this is basically when I'm now ending my PhD as well. So in principle, no, it has, I have been able to uh, catch up and work hard on it to, uh, to increase the, the speed that I've been doing because I have been uh, working long hours. Also, I've, as soon as the lab opened in the evenings, I've been able to go in in the evenings. So I've definitely speeded up my process, but uh, I have to say it has been, uh, it definitely could have been uh, faster without COVID, for sure. And what do you consider to be your most significant achievement in your studies and career so far and why? Um, well, I would say this is my, the PhD that I'm mm. just about to submit. Um, yeah. It is, that has been a really long process that required a lot of creativity, just making and shaping your own project is something really great and being able to uh, or asking other people to help knowing where you have to ask for help and how to do this. I learned so much during that time and it's, it requires a lot of responsibility and creativity. So that definitely, uh, and, and in the end you have a big uh, final result, which is just great to see. Hopefully when I have it printed, uh, we will see how that's gonna feel, but yeah, so far, but I also have to say, like alongside that, um, winning the winning the lecture competition or not winning it, uh, second uh, second place of the lecture competition was also uh, a great uh, experience. Yeah, yeah. So you, your achievement in the twenty twenty one student speech competition yeah. was yes, was, was excellent. And did you find that that was also beneficial for your personal development or growing your network? Yes, definitely. This was another thing that was uh, that COVID made difficult is connecting with uh, people in person. So um, actually, I've been to conferences, but they were all online. So I've yeah. been to the biomaterials conference um, and, and other conferences in Dresden, but they were all online. And um, this was great, a great alternative, but it is not the same. So this was actually my first uh, in-person event, my first in-person conference that I went to. So this was uh, an absolutely completely different experience, being able to talk to people, people hearing your presentation and then coming to you afterwards to do to have discussions. And even the event at the end, there was a dinner 
people came to me and I, I had chats with them. I also um, saw people from a university in the Netherlands. And this was really interesting to have a talk chat with him and just meeting different professors, but also young scientists. I met a lot of young scientists from all over Europe where I talked with that were interested in my work. I was interested in their work and we shared a lot of ideas. So that definitely, um, yeah. Yes, it sounds like it was a very beneficial experience, not just yeah. your achievement in the competition, but yeah. in terms of the people you met. Exactly. Yeah. What's been your biggest obstacle or challenge you faced in your education and research and how did you overcome it? Now, um, I think for a lot of students, this might be the same, um, but yeah, that has definitely been COVID. Mm. <laughs> I will have to say, like I already mentioned, uh, the, the change of uh, plans that you had to do, yeah. the, the change in course of direction was, was one challenge, but um, with the lockdown, you had to just think creatively, you had to think uh, flexibly, but um, actually the, the biggest challenge just started for me when we were able to get back into the lab at a reduced capacity, because um, I think if I remember correctly at that time, we had a maximum of 12 two hour slots every other week in the lab. But for my cell experiment, I required uh, two consecutive weeks and I also needed two weeks to prepare my samples. So this was a, a long experiment. So this really required a lot of logistics and planning. So on Monday, we were able to basically uh, book our slots. So on Sunday, I sat down, I made a, a plan to the minute when I had to go in, what I need to do at that time. And then on Monday, I booked in all my slots. And then at the same time, I also had to communicate with other people to ask whether they were able to swap their week with me. So I had two weeks in a row and they had also two weeks in a row later. So this, um, yeah, I needed to do a lot of communication and um, yeah, planning and logistics, but it also demanded a lot of flexibility from other people. And I received so much help and support in that way. So that was um, absolutely great. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, negotiating and uh, communicating with people is something that's useful yeah. throughout your career so exactly. what are your future career plans and professional ambitions once you completed your PhD? Um, so I'm looking to uh, apply my scientific knowledge more in uh, industry um, so I'm looking for uh, companies in the biomedical engineering field medical materials field um, so I would like to apply there. I would like to um, still work on research and, and be able to work in a team to improve products. And um, But I hope to be able to see how these products that we create, how they actually um, improve the patient's health. And I would like to be able to see that connection yeah. a bit more. So I'm looking into that um, and other plans in the future. I would like to be able to also try and work a bit more on like um, trying to make the processes more sustainable and more accessible to people. So if that would be an element that is included into this research, that would be amazing if I could um, get into something like that. Excellent. Is there anything you wish you'd known or done differently in your pre-university life that you'd recommend to someone embarking on a similar degree or PhD to you? 
Yes. Um, so what I think now that what I would like to have known in my high school years um, is mainly um, how versatile and how um, creative lab work is when you do your own research at a university level. So in high school, it was very restricted. In my case, following a protocol, doing it within this uh, hour of time that you had to do it. Um, so this was very, yeah, a restricted view on how lab work is really like. So I think that is something that I would have wanted to know um, at that stage, how interesting and creative that process is. Yeah, because yeah. I think it's when you do like large lab groups, it's very prescriptive where mm -hmm. you have certain equipment and a particular experiment and a period okay. of time. And I think at that stage, it's difficult to imagine that you can have the flexibility to design your own experiment exactly. with, its own, with its own time scale. Yeah, exactly. So that's basically, yeah, that would have been amazing if there would have been an opportunity for me to, to already have a sneak peek into that at that time. Uh, that would have been great. Um, yeah. I noticed from your biography that uh, you were part of this Global Shapers Cambridge hub, which mm -hmm. is really interesting. Can you tell me a little bit more about the work you're doing with that? Yes. Um, so Global Shapers is basically um, a group of people that are trying to tackle problems um, in a local um, scale. So you have Global Shapers in general is, is around the world and you have like the Paris hub, you have Amsterdam hub and I am in the Cambridge hub. So, so what we try to do is we look at a problem that we see in this community, community and we try to tackle this. So um, first when I joined, I basically joined um, to see other ideas and projects and you basically go through a process and then at some point you can start uh, making your own project if you want to lead one. And um, during my time in Cambridge, what I noticed was that, um, especially in my college, I saw a lot of bikes that were left behind they were abandoned and they became rusty and um it, it was just um basically too many old bikes that were occupying the space and not being used um so i was thinking how can we improve this um problem or how can we make it better so um i started looking into ways for people to make it e i was thinking personally what is really the problem here well i think students have to leave quite fast and at that time they don't have the time to donate their um, own products or sell it to other people yeah. so there is some connection missing even though people will be willing to donate it mm. so um, I was thinking if we can make this connection a bit easier that would be great so potentially have pop-up donation points not only for bikes, but uh, also for any kind of other projects where uh, other products that people want to donate. And then there could be a group of students that sort these donations and then bring them to charities. But then um, I emailed the uh, Salvation Army for a collaboration with them. And then they actually mentioned they recently opened um, bike repair shops. And they basically have people working there with work skills to help them get back into society. Yeah. Um, and so they said, we are very interested in that bike, specific bike idea. So this is when I started focusing specifically on bikes. 
So I organized a pilot study in my college, Wolfson College, where I had a donation pop-up stand and basically the South Asian army. So I, these students only had to bring their bike there in college at that point. And then the South Asian army would come with their um, trucks or their, um, their cars to pick up the bikes. So this was really easy. So this also didn't require from other students to bring the bike somewhere. So we had that collaboration. And um, so I promoted the day beforehand and uh, we managed to get over 40 bikes donated to the Salvation Army. So they were incredibly happy with it. And other students were happy to be able to um, donate their bikes. And bikes, the interesting or nice thing about this was as well that the bikes could be in any state. They could be broken and because they go to the bike repair shop. So this was actually uh, really great. Yeah. It, sounds like an, it sounds like an excellent scheme because uh, you know, it can bring bikes back to life. Yeah. and make them accessible to people who may not be able to afford a bike and yeah. also it uses people's skills in being able to repair and service bicycles so it sounds like an excellent scheme on many levels yes yeah. thank you yeah and and especially you know in, in the lockdown lots of people started using bicycles more as well mm -hmm. Yeah. So uh, I think that, that it's a really fantastic idea, but the timing of it is probably very good as well. Yeah. Well, it was, to be honest, I have to say at that time, I think it was lockdown when I did the first mm. in, yeah, trial. So that was, it was already, COVID was already there. Mm. So this made it um, complicated logistically a bit mm. as well. Yeah. But maybe this was also why people, yeah, decided, okay, I need a new bike. I need to upgrade my bike a bit more. I'm going to use it more often so I can donate it um, to the Salvation Army for a good cause. Um, so, yeah, and I feel like over COVID, people have just also been very uh, aware of, like, sustainability, helping other people. And, um, yeah, this was yeah. Uh, really great. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much. If you would like to find out more about the IOM3 Women in Materials, Minerals and Mining Group, please visit the IOM3 website at www.iom3.org or follow us on LinkedIn by searching IOM3 Women in Materials, Minerals and Mining. Please also don't forget to subscribe to hear more from us through Apple, Google Podcasts or Spotify. information about us visit iom3.org or to keep up to date with our latest news follow us on social media using at iom3 on twitter and at the institute of materials minerals and mining on linkedin if you're interested in our upcoming podcasts or want to get involved please subscribe to hear more from us through apple google podcasts or spotify